I saw Air Marshal William Avery Bishop only once, at a recruiting rally in the Winnipeg Auditorium in the spring of 1941. I was seventeen, impatiently awaiting my eighteenth birthday so that I could join up. My classmate at Gordon Bell High, Ron Dunphy, sat beside me, both of us exhilarated by the pugnacious speech of the short, stocky flyer who, at the moment, was the greatest fighter pilot alive, with a score of seventy-two confirmed victories. Eddie Rickenbacker, whose assessment in this field was based on solid credentials, once said that Billy Bishop was a man incapable of fear. Certainly the metal ribbons we could see on Bishop's chest afforded strong corroboration of Rickenbacker's assessment. Victoria Cross, Distinguished Service Order, Military Cross, Distinguished Flying Cross, to name only the ones we could identify. From descriptions given by journalists and others, I had come expecting to see a Gamecock, and in that respect Bishop certainly lived up to his billing. But he was much more than that. He exuded as much dignity as daring doubling the impact he made on an impressionable audience. Dunphy and I came away convinced that our original intent had been right, and that we should join the Royal Canadian Air Force's pilots as soon as we could qualify, namely at age 18. My 18th birthday fell on a Sunday in 1941, a sore disappointment to me since it prevented me from enlisting until the following day, Monday, October 20th. I was at the recruiting office in the old Lindsay building when it opened Monday morning. I spent most of that day dressing and undressing in various offices and being subjected by impersonal doctors to highly personal indignities. The aircrew medical was devastatingly thorough. Just before 6 p.m. I lined up with half a dozen other survivors, this time with my clothes back on, and was sworn in as a member of the RCAF. Our document folders were marked P.O., indicating that we would, if all went well, be trained as pilots or observers. While the individual expressed his own preference, the Air Force made the binding decision, on the basis of performance at initial training school, as to whether he would be washed out altogether or selected for training, either as a pilot or observer. I had entered the building in the morning as Mr. D. M. Pedden. I left with a slightly swollen appellation— Air Craftsman Second Class, AC-2, Pedden, David, Murray, R-134578. I was also given an Air Force lapel pin to attest to my heroism, placed on leave without pay, and ordered to report back on November 6, 1941, for the next draft to Number 3 Manning Depot, Edmonton. On the appointed day, thirty of us assembled in the CN Railway Station, made our farewells, and in the late afternoon, headed for Edmonton. After a casual inspection of our coach, I concluded that it had been amongst the rolling stock destroyed by General Sherman when he left Atlanta for his hike across Georgia, had been patched up after the termination of those hostilities and purchased by the Canadian government for use in situations such as this, where it wished to transport the very cream of its manhood on important missions. After three hours of drafty progress— I headed with some foreboding for the dining car, clutching a blue Air Force meal ticket in my hand, and assuming that if the meals harmonized with the accommodation, I would shortly be struggling with serious gastric disorders. My fears proved groundless. The meal was excellent, and I returned in high fettle to the museum piece in which we were riding. 
that sensation was gradually eroded as the night wore on. Since our run of about 800 miles would be covered in one night, the Air Force policy was to allow its men to begin to develop character by spending the night sprawling in the upright seats of the ancient day coach, seats which I was sure were truncated church pews. It was a long night.